of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. 79 years ago, the United States was pulled into World War II when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Nebraskans answered the call with sacrifice and dedication. We examine Nebraska's involvement in the war through the book World War II Nebraska. Author Melissa Amatis joins me on Lincoln Live today. Good morning, Melissa. Thank you very much for taking time to talk. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Tell me again from where the tug came for you to write a book on World War II? I actually, um, I got my master's degree at UNL in 2004, and my master's thesis was on uh, Nebraska POW camps in the state during World War II. And as I am a World War II historian, and I focus mostly on the home front, um, I was very intrigued at everything that Nebraska had done during the war, and there was a lot. And when my publisher asked me to write a book on World War One, I, I said, I don't know much about World War One in Nebraska, but I know a lot about World War Two in Nebraska. And so that was, um, I was really glad that they asked me to do that um, because I'd long wanted to explore all these things, the, the scrap drive, the North Platte Canteen, all of the ordnance plants and defense industries we had. And that was my, I, I, want, I mean, I'm, you know, I was born and raised here. I'm a proud Nebraskan, and I wanted to explore this more. Very true that Nebraska was involved in the war, but to my surprise, did not realize how early it was involved in the war. The world was fighting Hitler and Mussolini uh, long before the day that will live in infamy. So in July of 1940, according to your book, that's about a year and a half before Pearl Harbor, Nebraska's governor, R.L. Cochran, ran an ad in newspapers touting Nebraska as the logical spot for defense industries. Was he successful, Melissa? Yes, he was. Um, we we are the perfect state for this because we are right in the middle of the country, um, which protects us from sabotage, from, you know, it's a lot harder to bomb something that's in the middle of the country than it is on the coast. And we had lots of open spaces. Um, good waterways, good railroad lines, and we had lots of defense industries here, including the, um, and some of these weren't put into place until later, but, you know, we had the Naval Ammunition Depot at Hastings, the Cornhusker Ordnance Plant in Grand Island. We had another ammunition depot at uh, Sydney, and we also had one in Meade, Nebraska. So it just... We were quite successful in getting these here in our state. All of this brought industry, it brought jobs, it brought people, it brought an economy during a time of war. So we've got to give it up to Governor R.L. Cochran for doing that in the summer of 1940. Men and women from Nebraska did their part, signing up for the war to fight and to serve overseas. Citizens in every state did, but there are unique ways that Nebraska did it. And let's take a look at some of those. And you've mentioned a few. Ordnance plants and naval munitions depots. Yes. 
The um, Hastings Ammunition Depot was huge, and I'm sure if anybody lives around Hastings or has been down there, they have they can still see the remnants of that even today. And it was just these were like small little t- communities, really. They had everything. They had um, um, places to live, and that that was another thing that we had. Um, we had housing shortages because of the influx of people that came in, and it wasn't wasn't just Nebraskans that came in. It was people from all around the country that came in for jobs, and of course the military and everything. Um, and so it really put a strain on these smaller towns like Hastings and Grand Island and Maid and and Sydney, Sydney, especially, you know, out in the panhandle, um, not, it's much more, less populated out there. I am from Bridgeport, Nebraska, so I'm out in the panhandle. So it's just a different um, way of life out there. It's a little bit slower and not as many people, a lot of farm ground. And it was quite a change. 11 Air Force bases. Didn't realize yes. there were nearly a dozen of them. Yes. We were also the perfect place for the, uh, the Air Force bases because we, you know, flat ground, lots of uh, open air to fly those, that wonderful Great Plains sky, that Nebraska sky. And that also, those were located in very small towns too, some of them like Harvard, Nebraska, very small town, um, Bruning, um, and then of course, the bigger ones like Lincoln, you know, that was located um, where the airport is now. And it didn't put nearly as big a strain on the community because we had, I mean, there was there were some shortages, but the the burden was really much more difficult in the smaller towns because they needed to, you know, construct housing or bring in um, mobile homes and things just even for the construction workers because there's just this influx of people. And when you have an influx of people, you have problems. Talk about the unique program at Fort Robinson. Oh, yes. That is, I actually worked at Fort Robinson when I was in college. I went to Shadron State College, and they trained war dogs at Fort Robinson. And there were just a, a few of these places around the country that did this. And this was uh, the uh, war dog training program was, we didn't have this until World War II. We, dogs have been used in warfare since ancient times. But to actually have a program to train them, U.S. government didn't have that. So we had to start it from the ground up. And Fort Robinson was one of those places where we did that. And we had dogs coming in there and their handlers and it was a great the terrain out there with the, the buttes. Um, it's a great training place for the dogs and the men. What astonishes me is that people donated their dogs and they yes. were trained. And then when they were done, when the war was over or when the dog's assignment was done, they were returned to the family. Yes. Yes. If the dogs were still, you know, sometimes, you know, when they train the dogs, they got too violent. Um, but most of them, yeah, they, they were able to return home to their families. And I just think, you know, I have a dog. Could I donate my dog to the war effort? That just shows you the mentality back then of this all in and we're going to do what it takes. And it, it's sobering to think about, you know, would you donate your dog to the war effort? You'll, find, you'll find more about this in World War II Nebraska. Melissa Amity's my guest. 
people know about the North Platte Canteen, hopefully, because it was such an amazing and huge endeavor. And it's included also in your book. Yes. Very noteworthy. Yes, um, it's such a great story, and, you know, it's been featured on, you know, um, lots of different news programs. There's been books written about it. I think we should do a movie about it at some point, but people from all over Nebraska contributed to this, you know, and this was during a time of rationing, so we had people giving, you know, making pies and things using their sugar rations and their eggs, which were also you know, a precious commodity back then. And all of these troops that came through North Platte were greeted with this hometown hospitality. And it was just a very, very bright spot for them on their journey to and from war. And so many of them appreciated it and wrote to the city of North Platte years afterwards saying, I still remember this birthday cake I got or this cup of coffee and a smile from this pretty girl, you know, and there were even some romances that happened and marriages that happened from the North Platte Canteen. So it's just a really great testament to the, you know, the Nebraska nice, I suppose you want to say that, but you know, there's no place like Nebraska. There's really not. You mentioned rationing and shortages. Henry Dorley initiated a scrap campaign. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, Henry Dorley, um, his scrap campaign was became a model for the nation. We had tried to do some scrap campaigns um, earlier in 1942 after the war started, and it was just not very good. So Henry Dorley was the publisher of the Omaha World Herald, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. So he created this scrap drive competition, and each county... Um, had to compete to see who could bring in the most scrap. And it just lit the state on fire, and people had these scrap drives going, and Abbott and Costello, the Hollywood comedy um, duo, came out to Omaha, and there was just, it was this huge competition, and it just really got Nebraska's spirits, you know, into this thing, and the whole nation was watching us, and because it was so successful, they decided to adapt it um, nationally. And it just, another great example of our spirit here in Nebraska towards the war effort. Melissa, we have enough time to tell the story of Ben Karoki of Gothenburg. Oh, Ben Karoki is very near and dear to my heart. He was a Japanese-American, born in Gothenburg, moved to Hershey, Nebraska when he was a year old with his family, his parents had come from Japan and he when the war hit uh, him and his brother decided to join and fight and he was able to fight in the European War and the Pacific War he fought uh, 58 missions in total and throughout it all he faced racism and discrimination and he said the hardest war he ever had to fight was the one to actually be able to fight. He had to really fight against the the War Department and all of the red tape and the racism against just allowing him the opportunity to fight for his country just because he was of Japanese-American descent. So he is just um, such a wonderful example of, of the Nebraska spirit to just keep going no matter what. And after the war, he fought 
58 missions. He came home without a scratch, and then he decided to embark on a nationwide campaign to fight against racism and bigotry. And then after that, he went to UNL on his GI Bill, and he became the first Japanese-American to own a newspaper in Nebraska. So he's just a a wonderful um, individual, and if anybody deserves a Hollywood movie, it's Ben Kuroki. This is a very classy 200-page book about Nebraska's involvement in World War II. Where can people get it? Uh, You can find it, and if you're in Lincoln, you can find it at Barnes & Noble. You can find it on Amazon.com or at my publisher, which is the History Press or Arcadia Publishing um, online. So I know that uh, Target on South 56, if you're in Lincoln, um, is supposed to have it too. So, yeah, there's a few locations you can get it. World War II, Nebraska, written by a Nebraskan, Melissa Amatis. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas, Melissa. Thank you. Same to you. And thanks, everybody, for being here on Lincoln Live.